One of the first young people's conferences that I went to, I was outside, I think at 3.30 or 4 in the morning, because that's one thing about young people is we do like to stay up late, <laughs> you know, hanging out with some people and talking. And there was a girl there who was 19 and she had been sober like three days, I think. And she was just like a wreck. She was crying. She was in college and she just thought, there's no way I can do this. And I just sat with her for probably an hour and shared part of my story with her. And she became amazed that she was not the only one that had gotten sober young, that had fears about getting sober in college. And I could just see this light come on inside of her where she was like, maybe there's hope for me, you know? And again, for God to use me in such a way to share my story with other young alcoholics who think it's not possible to let them know that not only can you not drink, but you can actually have a life beyond your wildest dreams. It's just the biggest gift I could have been given. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, do you like coffee? I detest the stuff. I mean, those five or six cups that I drink every day are a chore. (laughs) It's kind of hard. Well, at the last Area 51 assembly, there was much hue and cry about the skyrocketing cost of coffee at conventions. We do love coffee. At the North Carolina convention, we drank 257 gallons last time. It cost $900. That's $3.50 a gallon. Hence the hue and cry. Now, my sponsor and I are reading the AA history book, Not God, by Ernest K. And he says, the centerpiece At the 40th anniversary International Convention of AA held in Denver, Colorado in July 1975 was, get this, a gleaming stainless steel 600-gallon coffee urn that dispensed the warm brown brew through 50 spigots. (laughs) 50 spigots? Man. Oh, my God. I want one of those for the International Convention in Vancouver in 2025. Oh, man, yeah. We've got to get the convention desk at World Services on that. I mean, that that coffee urn must still exist. We need to get it out of storage. (laughs) But so I figured it out. At today's rate, 600 gallons at 350 each, that would be $2,100. So, folks, put an extra dollar in the basket. Well, you know, I mean, Don, how many gallons are you going to drink? I think we (laughs) might need to ask you to put in a few extra dollars. Don't worry. I'll throw in a few extra bucks in there for my 17 gallons. (laughs) Now, I got an applicable coffee joke from At Wits End, Sam. Oh, okay. Help me out on this. Two members are talking just before a meeting. Hey, where's Matt? You didn't hear? Matt lost his balance, fell in, and drowned in a 600-gallon vat of coffee. Oh, no! That must have been a horrible way to go. I don't know. He got out to go to the bathroom twice. (laughs) Fine. I think that's supposed to be a beer joke. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it was, but I changed it to coffee because, you know, I love coffee so much. Oh, death, where is thy sting? <laughs> Don, you just make me groan sometimes. <laughs> Don, our guest today came into recovery and found WIPA. Young people in AA. That's it. They got sober and became active in IKIPA, the international conference, and I understand started the Georgia Young People's Conference in the 90s. They're still sober, and we're going to talk to them about what they're up to now and maybe a little bit about IKIPA. And I wonder if they would swim in a 600-gallon vat of coffee. I mean, who wouldn't? It, yeah. it can't be too hot, though. As long as it's not too hot. I like a hot tub, <laughs> but, you know. But first, the news. Did you ever serve in the military sober? Were you ever stationed overseas or on a ship while trying to stay sober? What were AA meetings like in the military? What were some of the challenges? Did you find AA while serving? Tell us about being in AA while serving your country. Submit soon. Stories are due February 15th. from our sponsors. We don't have sponsors? What are you thinking? Oh yeah, we don't do the commercial sponsor thing. Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazine, on our website, or in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. If you want to support Grapevine and this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org store. Charlene. I'm an alcoholic. I got sober in Athens, Georgia, but I now live in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, my sobriety date is January 30th, 2010. And my home group is the Grace Group in downtown Charleston. We meet Fridays at 9 p.m. and Sundays at 7 p.m. And it is a mostly young people's group. We'd love to have you if you're ever in town. Nice. Hi, Charlene. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Bobby O. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is July 16th, 2006. I am a member of the Tybee Island group in Savannah, Georgia, which I believe has the only beachside meeting in the state of Georgia. Bobby, can I just call you Bobby O? You can. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just got this flow to it, don't you know, Daddy O? <laughs> that would be my father, and he celebrated 38 years last night. Oh, oh, fantastic. Congratulations. So let's uh, let's see. Charlene, you got sober in 2010. Tell us about what was going on with you that made you check out AA. Yeah, I was 21 and a student at the University of Georgia, and my life had become extremely unmanageable, and I was miserable, hopeless, desperate, I had tried AA before, but I had only ever been a part of groups that had people who were 20, 30 years older than me. So very much felt apart from, like I didn't belong, like I hadn't gone far enough down the scale. I hadn't lost enough, but I didn't feel like I could relate. When I was a student at UGA in Athens, I actually found out about a young people's group in the area. And all of a sudden I was like, 
young people get sober on purpose. It just didn't seem like <laughs> something that was possible or that people wanted to. And my first time at that meeting, it was like the heavens opened up because the whole room was full of college students, teenagers, early 20s. And every reservation I had about being too young to be an alcoholic or feeling like I didn't belong in AA, all of those reservations fell away. And I knew immediately that I was at home. So it's what uh, kept me coming back and why I'm still sober today. What was going on with you that made you willing to go check it out? I mean, what was the problem? Right. I mean, when I was a teenager, you know, I actually got kicked out of high school. I got arrested. I got sent to multiple hospitals and psychiatric uh, wards. And none of that was enough to get me sober because, again, I kept thinking I'm too young. I'm too young. I thought maybe I could just do it myself and I didn't need to have recovery or AA or probation or any of that. And so when I started at the University of Georgia, you know, I was white knuckling it and I was just trying to force myself not to drink. And I was doing all right in classes, but I was miserable and I was just restless, irritable and discontented, crawling out of my skin, absolutely uncomfortable with who I was. And even though the outside in my life looked okay, I was doing okay in classes and, you know, I, I like had an apartment and I had a job it was the unmanageability of, you know, my emotions and the fact that I couldn't stop obsessing about drinking. And all I wanted to do was to drink and to, um, you know, self-destruct. And the last drunk that I had, I actually drove in a blackout and almost wrecked my car on the highway. It was just that moment of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. If I continue to drink, I'm going to die there was this spiritual bottom that I hit and I was like, I've got to get sober. And I went back to AA cause I had been introduced to it when I was on probation. And, you know, that's when I found out about the young people's meeting and it changed my whole life. And it's what made me want to keep coming back. And did you start working the steps right away? Absolutely. Because the first time that I came into AA, I, I did stick around for two years while I was getting a paper signed but I never got a sponsor and I never started working the steps. And so I was just, again, like coming to meetings, kind of white knuckling it, thinking I was just going to learn enough from you guys to get by and learn how to drink like a lady. And uh, that wasn't enough. And so when I came back in this time, I knew that I had to have the psychic change necessary to recover from alcoholism. And you guys told me that that was in the steps and there was something in me. I was just desperate enough to give it a try. And I had tried literally everything else under the sun to quit drinking and nothing had worked. So I figured, why not try the steps? And so I got a sponsor and started working them immediately. And it was absolutely the best thing I ever did. Oh, that is fantastic. You know, when I came in or first came around, I wanted to learn to drink like a lady too, and it just <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> hey, Bobby, I'm kind of guessing you probably didn't skip into the rooms of AA all happy and go lucky. Uh, what was going on? Well, for me, I came in in 1989 when I was 16 years old, and that was after an arrest and wrecking a car drunk and fighting with my family, getting kicked out of school. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because the judge had a desire for me to stay sober. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned is the desire to, to get sober doesn't necessarily have to belong to me. And I went to treatment and I drank and I went to another treatment center and I came back 
And I went to a prepaid convention that we have here in Georgia, and I was working on the registration committee. All these kids showed up and put together a table for making Georgia. And they said, we're trying to start the Georgia Conference of Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous in 1990 and asked me if I would want to help with that. And I connected with these young people and the fellowship grew. There was happiness and joy and freedom and excitement. From worry, you know, I always felt that I was different. One, because I was 16, 17 years old when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And here I felt like I was no longer alone. And the fellowship kept me sober for quite a while. And I did the step work to the best of my abilities. I was as honest as I knew how to be. I was made the amends to the best of my ability. I grew spiritually the best I could, but I relied a lot on the fellowship. And at some point that ended. So, yes. You know, when I was 33, my first sponsor was in her mid-20s and had gotten sober at 13 years old. And I just could not imagine getting sober at such a young age. Were there any particular obstacles coming in at 16 that were just like... There were plenty. Coming to meetings, people would talk about all this drinking and losing uh, the house and the wife and the job. And, and I had never gained any of those things. I lost my driver's license for 60 days, and that was the worst uh, and so that bottom had to be acceptable. The literature talks about the people before me had to raise that bottom to the point that it would hit me. And they did the best they could. There was no manual or anything for Alcoholics Anonymous at that time to say, hey, how do we deal with a 16-year-old coming into the rooms? So the fellowship did the best they could. And I'm grateful for the kindness and the love and the compassion. And they told me to get the sponsor. They told me to get a homer. They told me to get involved. They got me through the steps to the ability. They took me to conferences. They took me to big book studies. And those were the gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous at the time. So it sounds like they were incredibly inclusive, pulling you in to be a part of all this and to make it as attractive as possible. That in itself is a fantastic thing. But when you add in that component of people in your age group. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that was the one thing that was missing where I first got sober in Columbus I was one of probably five or six young people in our teens and 20s. And, and that was it among several hundred alcoholics that were older alcoholics. When that crew of young people showed up, I felt like I was truly not alone. And when they introduced me to the International Conference of Young People, NAA, and I went to Iquipaw in New York in 92, and I got up there and was asked to read how it works for the first time absolutely blown away. It was the most amazing experience to hear all those chants and see these thousands of young people from around the world trying to get sober. I knew that I would never be alone again. Was that enough to keep you sober, including the nagging doubt that I had coming in at 40 that maybe, you know, maybe I'm not a real alcoholic, but at 16, had you tried everything to quit drinking before? I, never. Um, so when the 12 and 12 talks about why all this insistence that every day must hit bottom, that is a major requirement to hit bottom and have that desire. I didn't really hit a bottom and I didn't have a desire. But I loved Alcoholics Anonymous. I loved the people. I loved the coffee. I loved the fellowship. So why not stay sober? And so when there was no longer a, a spiritual defense against alcohol, I drank. So in 2006, I tried to kill myself and I came back. And this was the point where Bill says in his story, that simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. 
And that was the destruction of self-centeredness for me. And I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous willing to do absolutely everything necessary to affirm that I would stay sober. Mm. So you love coffee? (laughs) Is that all you got out of that, Don? (laughs) (laughs) Would you swim in a 600-gallon vat of coffee? Don is fixated today. (laughs) Charlene, how is young people in AA a part of your life today? It's a huge part of my life. I keep thinking I'm going to age out of it at some point. I'm 34 now and almost 13 years sober, but I just love it so much. You know, I uh, was involved in the Athens Young People's Group, you know, for the first five years of my sobriety, served as their GSR for two years got involved with Geeky Paw. Um, I was the chairperson of that committee where we hosted it in Athens in 2014. It was just the most incredible thing to p- be a part of, to know that I was helping create a space for the young and desperate alcoholic to come in, to know that they would be welcomed and loved and accepted and that they could have fun in sobriety. Like that was my biggest fear. I'm never going to have fun. What am I going to do? I'm in college. Like I can't go to, you know, a football game or to a wedding. Like, how am I going to do any of that? But seeing and being a, being a part of a whole group of young people that had a blast, you know, in recovery, who traveled and who, you know, did fun things, who laughed and enjoyed life. It was what attracted me so much to the fellowship and to Alcoholics Anonymous and to be able to do that on the committee of Geeky Paw to be able to show that to other young people who think that they can't have fun in recovery. Like it was such a gift. Then I moved to Macon, Georgia for medical school. You know, I was like, create the fellowship that I crave. I actually started a bid there so that we could put together a Geeky Paw committee to host in 2017. And then I served as the chairperson of that committee and got to get the whole community involved. And, and I loved it. And I did the same thing. When I moved to Charleston, I was like, what do I do to make friends? How do I meet people here? And I got involved in the Sicky Paw committee. And now I'm serving on the Sicky Paw committee for this year, 2023. So this is my fourth time uh, being on a host committee for a young people's conference. And it has just enriched my life. I mean, absolutely, the fellowship does not keep me sober. I have got to continue to work the spiritual principles in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous every single day. Um, And having a relationship with the God of my understanding is what keeps me sober. But the fellowship is a blessing and it's like the cherry on top. It just makes it a little bit extra special, makes it a little bit more worthwhile Dr. Bob talks about it in his story. Like it's my duty to continue to serve in this capacity to share the message with the next sick and suffering alcoholic. And I just love it so much. So Bobby and Charlene, you, have y'all worked together on an Ikipa project? We have not. I met Charlene in 17 at one of our service area assemblies. I was the DCM for Columbus, Georgia. District committee member. Yes. And she was the chairperson for that conference. And so I went back to Columbus and really tried to dredge up some young people. And I got two. And so the three of us came and put on a bid for the 2018 
Gicky Paw, and we did a phenomenal bid. And at the end of the weekend, we were not awarded the conference, but Charlene and the advisory council said that it was one of the hardest decisions that they had ever had to make on selecting a host city because they saw the need. And and I've, I've let go of the resentment. You know, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and let go of that. but I've had the gift of following Charlene's recovery. Why Paul is still what connects us today. Bobby, what do you do in AA today outside of YPI or is YPI your main focus in AA? Read this wonderful book called the AA Service Manual. It's uh, a big red book. As of January 1st, I was elected the state secretary for Georgia. And I think that's one of the things that's most important for growing from YPAW. We have this great, wonderful conference, a lot of fun and enjoyment, and a lot of young people get to do a lot of service work. What do you do when the conference is over? Get involved in a home group, get involved in a district. And so I've represented groups as a GSR, I've been DCM, and I was asked to serve my state at this level. Um, And so understanding the traditions and the concepts and then passing that information on to the next person is what I do today. I've got a great home group, got several guys in the program that I sponsor through step work, trying to get an understanding of the traditions, but also doing workshops with some trustees and trying to understand these concepts that are so confusing. And Charlene? Yeah, I've been a very active member of Alcoholics Anonymous my entire sobriety because I was told again and again that if I'm in the middle of the boat, it's going to be harder to fall off the side. I didn't do any of that whenever I was first trying to get sober. So I knew it was what needed to change. And so I've been GSR of several groups. Um, I've always been an active member in my home group because I do believe that it all starts at the group level, you know? So I love my home group. I'm always there and present, always hold a service position there. I've been very active in the district uh, level. I'm now the PICBC representative for my local district and attend area assemblies regularly. And I'm really passionate about PICBC and public information because I feel like sometimes we can be too anonymous and I just want people to know that AA is available and that if you have suffered enough and you're ready to change your life and get sober, we're available and we're here. And the doctors and lawyers and clergymen and people who are there, they're the ones that are going to come into contact with alcoholics way before we do. So I'm very passionate about that. And that's a big way that I've been involved in my local community. And then of course, sponsoring, I feel like is just, that's where my heart really lies. Cause there's just nothing like working with another alcoholic and watching them come to life across the table and seeing them uh, get their lives back and, and start to enjoy life and having a meaningful existence that they never thought possible. And to be a part of that journey, I feel like is incredible. So I love service in all aspects. The next I would love to start getting involved more at the area level, which intimidates me because I feel like I don't know the 12 concepts in the service manual as much as I should. And Bobby, maybe you could help me with that uh, sometime, but that is kind of the next goal. But I definitely love to be a part of any kind of service that I can. You know, I absolutely love young people in AA. My last home group in North Carolina before I moved to California was a young people's group. What I find so incredibly attractive about young people in AA is it is such a strong sense of service. It is not just service of one-on-one and making sure the meeting happens, but that growth within general service. 
I don't have a question there. I do. <laughs> so someone listening who's a young person thinks I might be an alcoholic, wants to reach out. What if there's not a young person's group in their community? How do you find one? How do you start one? When I moved to Macon, Georgia, there was no young people's group there. And so I went to as many meetings as I could right at at the beginning. And I talked to a couple of people who were, you know, and again, it's the young at heart. I don't like to put any age limit on it because I do believe like we want to welcome everyone. And something just a side note, I really want people to know that young people were not a separate sect of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like we are part of AA as a whole and we are very much integrated with the whole of AA. You know, we don't want to be separate. You know, I went around to lots of meetings and I found a couple people that were pretty close in age to me and I'd ask them that they would be willing to start a young people's group. Literally the second month I was in medical school and dying from, you know, under a pile of books, I started a young people's group. I just went to the local church on campus and I met with their pastor. I asked if we could, you know, start a young people's meeting there. And they were so excited about the idea. There was a university across the street and I started a young people's group on Saturday night because for me, having a group to go to on Saturday night was essential to keep me from wanting to drink and feel like I was missing out on what my peers were doing. And so I had a couple people and we just, you know, had a meeting format and a pot of coffee. And we sat in this room and we had a young people's group and it was amazing. You know, one of the local rehabs brought a bunch of their guys, you know, there every week. And we attracted a lot of people. I met a couple of sponsees that way, you know, after a few years, the meeting did close because I moved to Charleston and nobody was really willing to take over that responsibility. But my sponsor just pointed out like, but you stayed sober. And I did stay sober and I created the fellowship that I wanted. And I felt like I was doing something that, um, you know, was going to be of service to the community and to the college and to the whole of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, I mean, you don't need much to start a meeting. You just need a place to meet. You don't even have to have coffee, though. I know Don would disagree with me there. Um, (laughs) You know, you definitely you just need two people and a meeting space and just start the meeting. And that is the, that's my experience. One thing that Charlene talked about stating that young people's groups are not separate. I absolutely agree with when we were first trying to start the Georgia conference, um, we would go to our area assembly in the early nineties and we would get such pushback from everybody Mm -hmm. because they felt like we were trying to separate ourselves from Alcoholics Anonymous. And we said exactly what Charlene said. It's for those that are young at heart. Bill W. talks about the importance of special interest groups. You know, you you have meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for lawyers and pilots and young people. And he addressed that when he talked about Icky Pie, I think it was the late 50s, the importance of having that connection. And I think young people have it a lot easier today because we have the meeting guide app that really helps a young person find a a connection. Absolutely. If you're a young person who is just curious, there are tons of online meeting options now and lots of young people meetings are online. So there's so many ways to get connected 
to these young people groups. And one of the other things that I found a few of the area assemblies that I've been to is a lot of times they'll hold, you know, meeting spaces for young people's groups and, you know, they'll have panels or talks about young people in AA and and even the state conventions, you know, ours that's coming up in Charleston, you know, there's a time slot just for young people to show up. So usually if you're involved in AA in some capacity, then you're going to be able to find that group of young people to connect with. So I want to bring this down to personal level because we've been talking about big concepts. First, Charlene, can you think of us where you were really moved and felt some spiritual connection that had happened from the fellowship, from working with others? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I was uh, going to my young people's group on Saturdays and we always hung out afterwards and did game night or went out to eat or something. And, you know, one particular night, I think I had three months sober. We went to my friend's house uh, to sit on her porch. And there was 10 of us, you know, from the young people's group and we played a card game and I laughed the hardest I've ever laughed in my whole life, like full belly laughs, my face hurt, my cheeks were red. And it was, I all of a sudden got tears in my eyes and like goosebumps because I couldn't remember a time that I had felt so light and so free and where I felt like experienced true joy and that connection with these other alcoholics of us laughing and enjoying life together. I never, ever thought that I could, you know, be free of the obsession to drink, but also just have such a meaningful experience with other people my age without alcohol being involved. And that was one of the moments where I was like, this is where I really belong here. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Well, Bobby, is there a point that comes to mind? You, you've got that experience that you can share with us. As far as for young people and the connectivity, I remember doing a bunch of road trips back in the early 90s, you know, going from Columbus to Macon to Atlanta to Augusta to Athens, try and put on events. And I think the biggest connection part for me was after the dance or whatever was over or checking into the hotel and you got 15 or so young people crowding into the one bedroom and saying, hey, let's have an, an AA meeting at one o'clock in the morning. And you got uh, people all over the floor and 10 people in the bed. Somebody's trying to find the big book to read how it works and the traditions. Um, and just the laughter and the connection that all this enjoyment, all this laughter, you know, and sometimes even the tear and the pain of realizing how blessed we are to have this fellowship was it. It was like, these are friends that that I'm going to have for many years. And there's probably a half dozen people in Alcoholics Anonymous today that I know that are from, you know, the first, second and third Georgia Conference of Young People that I still have relationships with today and that are extremely valuable to me. Beautiful. Yeah, it really is all about connection, isn't it? Bobby, Charlene, thanks so much for joining us. Indeed, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Loved it. Hey, look what I found drifting in the ocean. I've got it, huh? A message in a bottle. Fan mail from some flounder? No, this is what I really call a message. <laughs> Don, what is this dialogue you have me reading? 
People of a certain age will get it. People who watched Rocky and Bullwinkle every single Saturday like I did. Uh, well, I've seen Rocky and Bullwinkle and N- Natasha and Boris, but... <laughs> well, it's a perfect introduction for reading our mail. Indeed it is, and we got a couple today. We're going to start off with one from Logan. Hey, Don and Sam. I'm Logan, an alcoholic from Prince Edward Island, Canada, and a frequent listener of the Grapevine podcast. First off, let me thank you for such a wonderful gift you provide with the podcast. Every time I turn on my podcast app and see a new episode, I look forward to hearing you guys and the great people you bring on the show. Thank you, Logan. We appreciate that. Um, He continues... The latest episode about the meeting guide is fantastic. I just had to write and share because I'm the web manager for a couple of websites in my area, and we recently got ourselves into the meeting guide app, and we're looking to get more districts on. It's so cool that we have this technology available, and I always get so excited to learn more about it and help others get on there. Knowing about the codeforrecovery.org website now is also going to be super beneficial for my own service work, but also because I'm going to be running a workshop on the meeting guide in January. Anyway, I've rambled long enough. Thank you once again for all you do. God bless, Logan. Logan, thanks so much for that letter. We appreciate you writing in, and thanks for doing that work to help get the word out on the interwebs. (laughs) Yeah, you bet. Dear Don and Sam, I really enjoyed your weekly podcasts and look forward to them every week. Last week, this beautiful truth was particularly moving. I've been sharing the podcast with members of my AA family. Maybe sometime I'll send you an audio file for inclusion on your podcast. I just turned 70 and I got sober in 1979. I'm from Area 50 which is Western New York State. Thanks again for your service and carrying the message of AA, Don W. Well, Don, thanks for writing. And please send in an audio file. We would just love it. You know, Bill W. said that the grapevine was a forum for all of AA, and we consider it to be so. So send in that audio file, and we want to invite everyone to do the same. Yes, please do. Send us your thoughts, bad jokes, questions, please send us these things. It'll be fantastic. You can find out how to do that at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. I'm at the very wit's end. Two guys are waiting for a bus. Both of them have been overserved. I wish this bus would get here. Wait, wait, look, here it is. Oh. Driver, driver, will this bus take me to Elm Street? Nope. Well, what about me? (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.